Hello from Classical KUCO. This is Spotlight on the Arts, where we take a moment to talk with local artists, performers, composers, conductors, and leaders on the many special activities and challenges taking place within our community. I'm your host, Paul Nesper. For our September 21st episode, we sit down with Dr. Zachary Daniels with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra to talk about their upcoming concert, Musical Friends, and pay our respects to the passing of their music director and conductor, Dr. Irv Doc Wagner. Then, we sit down with Michael Barron and Alexander Micklethwaite to discuss the Lyric Theater's ongoing production of Concerto, which tells the tale of Tchaikovsky's 1878 Violin Concerto. Finally, we sit down with Kayla Benda with the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony to talk about their upcoming concert titled Origins, featuring a world premiere from Oklahoma composer Clint Williams. As we like to say... Let's put a spotlight on the arts here in Oklahoma. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from Painted Sky Opera, presenting Benjamin Britten's Turn of the Screw, an operatic ghost tale, September 28th through 30th, in a return to the newly renovated Freedy Theater at the Civic Center Music Hall. Tickets available at PaintedSkyOpera.org. Welcome back to Spotlight. My first guest today is Dr. Zachary Daniels with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra. They will be kicking off their 2023-2024 season on Tuesday, September 26th at 7.30 p.m. in Ball Auditorium on the campus of Oklahoma Christian University with their concert titled Musical Friends. It features the music of Glinka, Tchaikovsky, and Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. Zach, welcome into Spotlight today. It's great to be here. Well, we're excited to sit down and talk with you. Uh, obviously, the Oklahoma Community Orchestra, you've got your opening concert this coming Tuesday. Before we get into that, we do want to talk briefly about the passing of Dr. Irv Wagner, who was the music director and conductor of the group. We lost him last week, obviously a force of nature, as we were just talking about off-air. I wondered if you just had an anecdote or two that you wanted to share just about what Doc was like as a human being. Well, first of all, he was, like you said, a force of nature, internationally known, and he played for you know the Pope, sitting U.S. presidents. He played on air for millions of viewers, and really around here, he was just kind of a fixture of the land at this point because he really has been such a driving force of music in so many different avenues of his life for so long, whether it's playing trombone, directing an orchestra, or playing the spoons because, (laughs) you know, he was just that diverse. But the one thing that I've been thinking about lately in a letter to the orchestra, which is floating around online, and I know a couple of the news stations have picked it up even, but I remember to my first lesson with Doc, and I didn't study formally with Doc while I was uh, during my master's and doctorate at OU, but the first time I encountered him was recording his solo trombone recital in 2015, and I remember hearing some of the most beautiful playing on the trombone I've ever heard, just absolutely phenomenal, some great musicianship. And then when he stands up to recognize the applause of the audience after the first piece, he crashes down onto the chair, and you could hear a pin drop in the room. He had just dislocated his hip mid-concert. And most humans would 
say, okay, let's let's call it off, let's reschedule, let's do all that. But no, that's not who Dr. Wagner was. He had some students help him readjust into his chair to where he's a bit more center. And then he proceeded to play the next 35, 40 minutes of music as if nothing had ever happened. To me, that is who Dr. Wagner is. Because no matter what life throws at you, you just have to take a moment, write yourself, and push forward. I think that's great advice, and sometimes I need to remind myself of that. So I appreciate you sharing that anecdote and that uh, that lesson today. We want this to not necessarily be a somber interview, um, but certainly we want to remember the legacy of, of Doc. And with that, the title of this first opening concert is Musical Friends, which, of course, Doc had millions upon millions of, of, of musical friends. That's how you're kicking off the 2023-2024 season. What is the meaning or the message behind that theme? The meaning behind it, it's a lot of Russian music. And really what Dr. Wagner told me whenever I asked him about it was that it's intended to kind of bridge the gap because, you know, a lot of people see music as sort of the international language, the healing language, language of peace. And that's kind of what Dr. Wagner was showing us. And not just in that, hey, we should try to show that musical piece, but also just celebrating the fact that, yes, we may be political rivals, if not outright enemies at times, but we're still musical friends. There's some great music going on over there. Even today, there's amazing music. And yeah, we don't hear as much of it coming out these days because, there's a lot of issues happening over there right now, but what's important is that we continue to celebrate the rich culture and history that they've contributed to our concert repertoire that we see every day, because some of it is concert staples like Scheherazade or 1812 Overture, and then a slightly lesser known piece with the Glinka. I actually played some Glinka on the radio this morning, and that, yeah, I just... Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, man, I don't I don't listen to enough Glinka, but now, now I digress. <laughs> so, and that's that's a, a pretty good segue. So you're featuring a lot of Russian music. That was my next question. With that in mind, what specifically led to the selections that you'll be presenting the audience this concert? So the anchor piece for this was always going to be Scheherazade. And I I think about this a lot because... Back in February or so, no, that was back in March or April, I made a joke on Facebook about, yeah, man, those bones, it'd be great to do Scheherazade sometime. And then, like, all the trombones from the Oklahoma Community Orchestra were like, can we do Scheherazade? That would be amazing if we could do that. And it turns out that Doc was already thinking about beforehand, and he's like, yeah, you know what? I was probably going to do it anyways. Why not? So, you know, Scheherazade really does work. No bias as a trombonist, obviously. <laughs> and... For me as a composer, it's it's one of the most prolific pieces of music to analyze and work with. And obviously when you're conducting it, you get to go in even more in depth. And Scheherazade is such an incredible anchor piece to have. Then, of course, you have 1812 Overture. That's kind of the other big call to action piece that we have. Most people have heard 1812 Overture, whether they know it by name or not. It's what you hear <laughs> with fireworks or be for Vendetta, whatever you would like. So that's a great piece. You know, it's written by Tchaikovsky in honor of, you know, a battle that, you know, the Russians had won. And you kind of kind of hear, you know, the Russian, you know, hymn tunes. And then you can hear the French national anthem at the time kind of clashing. And then you have, you know, the actual battle of the infamous or famous, depending on your point of view, cannon <laughs> fire in the piece. And then he needed something to sort of open the show because you can't just open with two meat and potatoes pieces. So what he decided was, you know what, 
let's round it out with another Russian great of Glenka. And he also felt much like, you know, you mentioned earlier that not enough people are listening to enough Glenka. Like Glenka's got some good stuff. And so he was just thinking about some different Glenka pieces. And he's like, you know, there's this piece overture to Ruslan and Lumia. And I had never heard the piece whenever he told me that we were doing it. So I'm immediately like, okay, so I get myself a score. I go start listening to it. And then, before I know it, I'm like, oh, I see exactly why he did this. It's a great <laughs> show opener. And I even saw a program note online from someone. I don't remember who I saw it from, but they said, there is no more definitive Russian curtain opener. And honestly, I kind of feel that way about this piece. It's really growing on me. What is the importance of having a group like the Oklahoma Community Orchestra for people? Because when we think about it, there's lots of things that we do when we're young, whether it's play sports I guess nowadays, video games, band, orchestra, all those things. But sometimes as we get older, those things start to go by the wayside because we've got to go to work. We've got to take care of our family. We've got to do all these things. So why is it so important for Oklahoma City to have a group like the Oklahoma Community Orchestra? So the Oklahoma Community Orchestra is really important in that it provides an avenue for people that you know aren't professionals to sit there and continue to play in a large-scale orchestral environment because without that, you know, you're kind of left with your violin sitting on the piano at home and you're like, well, I mean, I'll pick it up and play it sometimes, but I don't really have a goal. And it kind of gives people that goal. And also, it just gets people excited about the literature because so many people have even come up to me in the past couple weeks like, hey, you know, playing the Scheherazade has been amazing. I love the way that we're doing the Calendar Prince movement or coming up and saying, you know what, the way we did the Ruslans felt really, really good. And I'm super happy with it. And just seeing the joy that we can bring out of all these community members when they're playing in the orchestra, that alone is part of why we do it. And then, of course, the other intent of you can never have enough good music. Exactly. So, you know, obviously we've got things like the fill and all that, but we also help fill out that niche a little bit because otherwise you're waiting for your monthly fill show. So, I mean, you've got that, you've got your university groups, but then if you're out of the university and you're not in the fill, you're kind of left in this limbo. And so that's kind of the role that Oklahoma Community Orchestra has sought to fill. That and, of course, you know, just playing some great music together. It's one thing I always explain to, to kids and, and parents when, when a kid is first starting an instrument. Like, the reality is you're probably not going to be a professional musician. Most people aren't going to be band directors or choir directors or orchestra directors, and that's fine. But it's a skill, and it's something that you can enjoy for as long as you want. You know, I love basketball. I can't cross over like I used to. These, <laughs> these, these legs don't work like they used to. I get tired a lot more quickly. So we're but, not going to do one-on-one after this? Well I, well, <laughs> well, I forgot to bring my gym clothes. My, my apologies. Oh, okay. You obviously yeah. came oh, to okay. play. Yeah. My bad. My yeah. bad. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> with, my, with my suit and tie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but music is something that, you know, you can continue to play at a high level well, well into the, the, I hate to say the twilight of your life, but, you know, I've had family members that lived to their 90s and 100s that were still playing piano or organ. Exactly. And it it's sort of an enriching thing, too, because not only are we continuing to perform and play and kind of make ourselves happy, but it's also just very enriching. In fact, everyone says pretty much the same thing, that every time you play an instrument, 
you're learning something new. Even if you're just saying they're rehashing something, even if you're just saying they're trying to learn something for the first time, you're pushing yourself, you're enriching yourself. And not only that, but even if, you know, you're getting a little older, it helps with, you know, cognition. It can help whenever, you know, if you have any physical ailments, it can help you kind of work through that. In fact, I had a student not long ago who, uh, she was a wonderful viola student, and she had initially picked up viola to kind of get over some war injuries that she had incurred. And I asked her at one point, why did you pick, you know, a stringed instrument? A lot of people, if they want to do that, they'll pick something like piano. She's like, well, I already knew a little bit of piano, and I want to learn a little bit of another instrument. And then that ended up becoming her primary instrument. So it's just, it has so many applications for us throughout life. And really just the joy of music is what it comes out to. Because you can't be playing in an orchestra, playing out the finale to 1812 Overture, and not have a big smile on your face. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Like, I kid you not, uh, at the rehearsal the other night, uh, we were playing and I had to cut off because we were out of time about two minutes before the end of Scheherazade. And I just saw the biggest sad face on one of our bassoon players, uh, Dr. <laughs> Secula. And she was just saying like, oh, I really wanted to play the ending. And I'm just saying like, but we ran out of time next week, though, I promise. But that's and honestly the fact that that elicits that just shows that we're all having so much fun and you know, like you mentioned, uh, we all continue to play, whether we're much good or not. I mean, I, I'm i definitely not a world-renowned bassist, but, you know, I'm still playing around. And, you know, I always find value in that. And, you know, I was even doing it while studying to, you know, finish my doctorate in composition because it's just fun to play music and get out there and make it. If we had a classical KUCO listener that maybe has played an instrument in the past and wants to get back into playing, is there an audition process that they go through to potentially join the orchestra? Or do you have like a call list saying, hey, we're missing a section violin or a second trombone? How does that work? And where can our listeners go if they are interested in potentially joining the ensemble? So you can go to okorchestra.org and under contact us, there's a, a brief blurb about contact our personnel manager if you have any interest in joining. And if we have space for you, we will try to accommodate. Uh, obviously, you know, there will be auditions if, you know, we feel that, you know, hey, we don't quite need this, but let's hear you out type thing. And really just get your name on the list. That way, when we need the extra couple violins, because let's say, you know, this happens very frequently, you know, people are going out of town, they're traveling, etc. That's the time where we might be like, hey, we need to call up a couple more of our violin friends. So let's dig into that list a little bit. And you know, once once we get to know you, we're going to keep using you type thing because we we like our own. You know, we're like one big family over there. And we were even uh, this was as I was uh, talking with the orchestra this past week about the you know passing of Dr. Wagner. Uh, I did even use the direct quote of an orchestra is like a family. And Dr. Wagner loved this family. And I then continued to talk about how all of us have gotten to know each other more and gotten to, you know, do the blood, sweat, tears, laughter, etc. together. And that's really what it's all about. And even if you only join us for one concert, you're part of our family. Now, obviously, this is going to be the concert that kicks off the 2023-2024 program. Is it possible if I ask really nicely and uh, say our classical KUCO listeners will appreciate it to give us a sneak preview of some other things that will be coming down the pipeline Ooh, this season? Okay, other things coming down the pipeline. So we're actually going to be working on this November 14th concert with Dr. Tess Remy Schumacher uh, from UCO uh, on cello, and she is going to be playing a series of cello solos with us. And we're going to be complementing that with some music from Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. 
and we're going to be doing a few selections from that and then of course do the uh, big cello solo stuff. We got a few wonderful selections there. I won't spoil exactly what it is yet, but I can tell you it's going to be a great show. We've been in communication with her and she can't wait to play. The orchestra can't wait to play. And the couple of plans we do have firming up for the back half of the season, definitely something to look for. But that next concert date is going to be November 14th. Well, before we get you out of here, it's been a ton of fun uh, to get to talk to you, Zach. This is my first chance to really get to sit down and talk with you. What are you most looking forward to in this concert? So it's a combination of things. For me, I really love... 1812 Overture, that's something that was really fun as soon as Doc announced that we were doing it. I was like, hey, can this be one that I conduct since you want me to conduct part of it? And, you know, he was kind of leaning towards, yeah, we'll probably let you do it type thing. And I was like, yes. And it's mainly because I just love getting as much emotion that I can in all the different transitions and whatnot. And particularly, obviously, that finale, once you get to that final Largo before the uh, Vivace at the end. That is such a fun part to work on once you bring in all of the brass and all of their glory. And we're really trying to work to make it super special. And I will say this past week, it was amazing in rehearsal. And then the other thing I'm looking forward to a lot is kind of a, uh, a, a kind of a bucket list thing for me. I, I'm not a conductor by trade, usually. I've actually fallen into conducting over the years as kind of an accident. But <laughs> since then, I've kind of put together a bucket list, and I've always wanted to do Scheherazade. That's one thing that I've always wanted to conduct. And one thing I'm really looking forward to in there is just sort of displaying all the emotions. Because obviously you have things like, you know, the theme of Scheherazade herself. You have the theme of the, you know, angry sultan. And, of course, you have all these little episodes that happen within there. And we've been working a lot in particular on the Calendar Prince movement, the second movement. And that movement, we are really showcasing some of our best performers on solos, and it's going to sound amazing. And we're really working on, in particular, working on a couple of really interesting rubato choices that we're doing that are going to really help elevate the performance. And it's going to be a radically different experience for anyone that has listened to Scheherazade before. I hope you really enjoy what we do with Scheherazade because that piece is my personal mission in this concert. That's awesome. Let's get the details for the folks one more time. The concert is? Tuesday, September 26th at 7.30 p.m. at the Garvey Center at Oklahoma Christian. Excellent. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. It has been such a pleasure to sit down and get to know you and talk with you today. It has been a pleasure as well. We'll have to do this again sometime. I look forward to that day. Coming up next, Michael Barron and Alexander Micklethwaite come to talk about the Lyric Theater's ongoing performance of Concerto. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from the Oklahoma City University Bass School of Music, presenting Sweeney Todd, a tale of love, murder, and revenge set against the backdrop of 19th century London. September 29th through October 1st at the Kirkpatrick Auditorium. Tickets and more at okcu.edu tickets. Welcome back to Spotlight. 
My next guests are Michael Barron and Alexander Micklethwaite here to talk about the collaboration between the Lyric Theater and the Oklahoma City Philharmonic in their presentation of Concerto. It tells the tale of Tchaikovsky's infamous 1878 Violin Concerto. The performances are happening now through Sunday, October 1st at the Plaza Theater. Alexander, Michael, welcome to Spotlight. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Great to be here. Well, it's so great to have the both of you here. I've had the chance to talk with Alexander before, but Michael, this is my first chance getting to meet you, so it's a pleasure to meet you and have you here on Spotlight, although I know this is not your first time. No, likewise. Michael's the best. I've thank already thank gathered you. that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we've already had fun talking uh, off air, so this is going to be a, a, a wonderful conversation. So currently, right now, the Lyric Theater and the Oklahoma City Philharmonic are combining to present Concerto, which tells the infamous tale of Tchaikovsky's 1878 Violin Concerto, playing now through October 1st at the Plaza Theater. So first things first, what kind of brought this collaboration together? Michael's brilliant mind. Why, thank you, Alexander. Um... <laughs> no, actually, um, I uh, I went to the William Inge Theater Festival in Independence, Kansas, and William Inge is a famous American playwright who did the the play Picnic, among others. And this at this festival, all of American playwriting kind of gathers there. They honor a famous playwright. It's been going on for decades. Tennessee Williams has gotten it. Arthur Miller, uh, Marsha Norman, and so I went there, and they also have playwrights from around the country reading some of their new works. And they asked directors to come and give their opinions and thoughts. And so the year I went, I met the playwright of Concerto, Alan Olenicek, who is originally from Milwaukee, but lives in San Francisco now. And the play he did at the festival was about Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, wow. And he wrote it for the National Park Service and their home called Valkyll in upstate New York, um, the Roosevelt's. It was sort of an immer- before immersive theater was a big thing. Um, it was... Uh, the actress came out into the, the gardens and talked to the the people visiting the house. Well, the play he wrote was a very accurate story about her activism, and the the house itself was like, this is a little too heavy for uh, what we were hoping. Um, but I thought it was endlessly interesting. And I said, please give me all your other plays to read. And he uh, tends to like writing about historical figures and finding out you know the story behind what we know. Um, or bringing to light something that uh, that we thought we knew a perspective of. So I got Concerto, which was, a at the time, a three-hander, which in theater we call, which is where there's three actors doing the show, and mainly based in upon the letters between Tchaikovsky and his main patron, Nadja von Meck, who funded a lot of his great works in Russia before the revolution. And they wrote over 1,200 letters back and forth which exist, most of them still. Nadia's family kept all the ones Tchaikovsky had. Tchaikovsky's brother kept most of them. He did censor some because he did not want the uh, public to know um, some of the aspects of his life. And the Soviet government also blacked out certain things in these letters. But that's the basis of the play. And then after the player read all the letters and wrote kind of a three-hour play, didn't have much of a focus, and um, somehow the focus of how the violin concerto came about um, kind of focused the story on Nadia Tchaikovsky and Tchaikovsky's protege and um, a male companion lover that lived with him for a while um, called uh, Joseph Kotek, who he wrote the violin concerto for, but then ended up, he ended up not playing it for various interesting reasons. 
I did my best to not go too far down this rabbit hole because yep. I really wanted to hear it from you guys. And I, I see you looking over at Alexander, so I'm, I'm curious to hear his perspective on this side of things. Well, Mike is completely wrong. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, everybody. He was great. Um, well, I mean, there's not so much my side of the things. It's more that from the classical music side, we had... How did um, I drag you into this thing? How did you drag me into it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, you workshopped it, and there are possibility. At that time, there were possible music samples in the dialogue, during the dialogue of that play, let's say. So when they talk about the violin concerto, of course, there could be little tidbits of the violin concerto. They talk about Mozart. Well, let's play a little bit of Mozart. Those kind of things. And um, then we kind of thought, okay, let's build on that workshopping two, three years ago. And Michael brought it now here. And um, we, in the last month, we kind of expanded. I mean, besides their whole rehearsal and directing of the play, the musical aspect continued that we um, expanded on those ideas of having music flow in and out of the dialogue. And we had a pianist and a, um, and a violinist. They were both students, very talented, one from UCO, Sam Gillis, and the other gentleman from OCU, Zhao. Um, yes, Zhao from Brazil. He's from Brazil, amazing. amazing. I can't pronounce his last name either. So, right um, <laughs> but the idea was really to have short clips of chamber music. And um, then, for example, this really funny kind of um, segment where Tchaikovsky tears down Beethoven and Brahms and Wagner. And so you are in that world of a famous composer, Tchaikovsky, um, judging, trashing <laughs> the most famous composers there are. And then we, on the other hand, are decided to perform just 10 seconds of a Beethoven Fifth Symphony or on the piano. And then Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, just the beginning, etc. So it becomes very interactive and vibrant that way. Something where you really connect the worlds. My world, symphonic world, the music world, and, and the theater world of text-based dialogue. Yeah. And it serves, you know, like all great movies, like, you know, I love John Williams, his scores. Oh, yeah. They like, you know, they inform the emotions of what's going on and sort of if something is, you know, dramatic on on a film and the, and the music swells, it makes it even more dramatic. And I think that we've been able to pick out classical music selections throughout the piece that reflect either the moment right before or the moment after. And it allows time for us to examine uh, the situation, whether it's uh, someone contemplating about a family situation or grief or the excitement of composing. Because you see the actor, you know, having a monologue or a scene about that. And then you also hear music and you see the person playing it um, as well. And so it gives you particularly, I would say, post-COVID more time to like deal with the emotions of the play, which is why the play actually written is only an hour 15 minutes oh, wow. now because it leaves room for to have music to have this time and it's one of the most complete evenings of theater that i've worked on even though it's not you know three hours long it's, it's very dense what what they talk about and and what what you um experience what you learn about him but also about art artists how it's funded the own choices we all make in our lives things like that and musically one more time but i really like is that I put in <laughs> twice the so-called Tristan chord of Wagner. Um, Tchaikovsky was heavily influenced by Wagner. Everybody was influenced by Richard Wagner, the German opera composer from the 19th century, and specifically his opera Tristan, this beginning of that opera, um, which uh, where he invented, com the composer, this elusive 
chord. Usually it's either a major or a minor chord or a diminished, you know, and here it's actually a chord that goes into nowhere's land. It's basically a question mark and the whole opera is based on one of that chord moving into the next, into the next and signifying that tragic love, in this case, between Tristan and Isolde. Um, and in our case, uh, um, um, Tchaikovsky being influenced by Wagner and actually in his sixth symphony, um, having the whole beginning, a little bit like Tristan's third act, this desolation, this loneliness. And um, now between, I guess, Tchaikovsky and his lover, to have that tragic tragedy represent, resembled, again, in that chord. <laughs> so you have to come to the theater play to hear the chord. And these are things that you know I never would have known if it wasn't having this partnership. And in fact, I didn't even know what he just said until right now, <laughs> but I knew it uh, instinctually and emotionally because the musical phrase that's played ends sort of in the air. I just thought it was... You know, oh, that's a beautiful little way. Because I said, you know, can you play just three chords no, it's the whole to thing. get us to the next scene? And he gave us, obviously, so much more. So it gets us to the next scene, but also honors the emotions of the well, characters. One, one step further. So Tristan is based on this love-death idea, right? So love, but at the same time, it's tragic. There is no way they will ever stay together. So in love is immediately the death symbol. So this is that beginning of Tristan, this chord, is immediately both love and death together. <laughs> Or the tragedy, the trick, 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 the idea of tragedy. You know, either way, it goes, it goes bad. But it's so beautiful, and music transcends this always. So, okay, that's the next opera I'm going to dive into because I <laughs> oh. haven't seen that one. Oh, it's incredible, and I and I and I'm now having flashbacks from theory courses where we talked about the Tristan chord, and I still don't truly understand it, but that's okay because I now get to host a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, this, you know, the the violin concerto written in, in 1878, I mean, that was in a tumultuous time in his life. He had just uh, been divorced from his failed marriage that, you know, was kind of first show. Now he's writing this this great work of music. He's conflicted with what his heart wants versus what, you know, the world is, uh, is expected of him. So, and the fact that you're combining this all in a, an hour and 15 minutes, this has got to be an action-packed play. Um, well, uh, it is actually. The, um, every scene is probably a minute or two, and very, very full and 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 in, in depth. And I will say, as far as time passing, time passes, but it isn't one of these things where I call it the for the boys syndrome. If you saw that movie where you have an actress that gets older and puts on age makeup, and you know that kind and has a shaky voice, this just is in. Um, their experience of maturing as a relationship between him and Nadia, who was really one of his best friends, who he never met in person through these letters. But when you write, hope, I mean, now we write so casually with texts and things, but when you, the letters, when you write letters, you know, you're, you're more thoughtful. It is more compact because you're choosing everything so carefully. And so the letters, they're not the actual letters in the play, but even what Alan did, every line, and we examined for an entire week every single line, um, of the play with the actors before we even stood up to make sure that we understood, you know, we, we to unpack what that, what it meant, but then also um, to make sure if you're not that familiar with classical music or um, don't know the time period or who these people were at all, you still would be able to um, find your way into the play and experience it and have the delightful, you know, opinions like the section of when we trash the composers, <laughs> even if you don't know the composers, we're going to give you, the most popular snippet, or even if you don't know the snippet, you're hearing it so you can have an opinion of it. You're like, oh, yeah, she just said that sounded like 
you know, sawing, <laughs> sawing a violin. And lo and behold, we, we hear that as well as a criticism. For those that are deaf or hard of hearing, there will be an ASL sign language interpreter there uh, Saturday, the 23rd performance at 2 p.m. So you can also enjoy this outstanding play about Tchaikovsky. Which we do for every performance at Lyric. There's always um, a, a, at least one performance that uh, we make accessible for the deaf and hard of hearing communities. And if by chance you cannot attend that performance, we will uh, provide one for you at any time. Just call our box office and we'll make those, make those arrangements. That's, that's truly outstanding. Now, this is going to be in the Plaza Theater, so a nice, small, intimate setting to really be able to, to almost feel like you're a part of the play, I would assume. Yeah, you walk, uh, you know, theater has the, sometimes the ability to transport you to other places, and this truly does. You're sort of in Oklahoma on the street, you walk into the theater, and you're in this lush, uh, czarist Russia um, experience. You see her, her uh, living area, his, the whole back of the theater is actually a replica of uh, architectural elements from the Bolshoi Theater. There's some almost real Fabergé eggs on the set, um, <laughs> but you are you're, you're transported to a different time that isn't that unlike our time now, where those with money are making decisions about sometimes what creatively is created and who gets to see it. It's it's a good reflection on, on how we support the arts now. It's a very valid point. Now you mentioned this is a small cast, so. Could you tell us a little bit about the actors that will be performing in this play? You bet. Um, it stars three of the most talented actors um, in this area and that I've worked with. Uh, Matthew Alvin Brown, who I think this probably is our 20th show together. Nice. But he plays Tchaikovsky and um, could not be more passionate, and it's a great role for him. Uh, Sheridan McMichael plays Joseph Kotek, who does a lot of musicals around town, but he also just has this kind of Jude Law confidence, which is perfect for the role <laughs> of the petulant protege. And Chris Shinsky uh, is playing Nadia Von Meck. It's um, her first perform- first show at Lyric since I've been here because she lives near Stillwater. So she's driving almost an hour every day to come do this show. Audiences at the Pollard probably are familiar with her, but she is a spectacular actress. And every every line is just a fascinating choice and so honest. I, she's, it reminds me similar of like Frances McDormand or... Meryl Streep even. That's some um, pretty high praise. It is. And it, it really is a stunning performance by all three of them. And it, and like the concerto, which I believe usually have three parts, or at least this one does, the violin concerto. Three movements. Movements, mm-hmm. yes. Parts, uh, movements. Okay. Um, the playwright purposely. He's non-musicians, I tell you. <laughs> the playwright, you know, he, he wrote with those three characters in mind of the three movements of the concerto. I did play alto sax, but you know I, but there wasn't many count. movements no. when I played <laughs> Donna Summer's Hot Stuff in marching band. You just moved yourself. Oh, oh very much so. Yeah. For our classical KUCO listeners that maybe don't have tickets yet or want to learn more about this production, the actors, the directors, all that fun stuff, where can we direct them to go to? Oh, uh, you should go to our website, of course, lyrictheaterokc.com. Um, if you type Lyric Theater Oklahoma, we usually pop up first. Make sure you buy tickets from our site only. There are many scalper scalping sites around, and I did see tickets for the show for three hundred dollars, which is ridiculous. Of course, it's very reasonable. So go to our website for tickets. If you're a student, rush tickets anytime you can. In the box office are twenty dollars. Nice. You can always usher for free um, if you call us. And the final week of the run, which is the week of I guess next week, October first. Uh, all high school kids are free. So if you're a high nice. school kid, you can come to the box office, box office anytime and get a ticket. Um, we did that this summer with our shows, and we had tons of high school kids that 
you know, escaped their parents, came to the big city and saw a show. So it was really exciting. Well, and I think, you know, the theater, just the arts in general, but especially theater arts, are very, very popular in Oklahoma City. So that doesn't really surprise me at all that you're getting so many younger people out there to, to be able to see all the productions that you guys uh, put on. That's outstanding. Yeah, it's exciting. Since uh, we've all come back after COVID, our audience has gotten uh, younger for sure. Um but a little more sporadic in that everyone has a lot to choose from. And it's, you know, it's sometimes hard to get people away from their television and Netflix. And so, um, uh, particularly with new works like this, so having even this opportunity to talk about the show um, and let people know what, what they're going to see is, is really exciting. And um, once they do, they're hooked on live theater. They're certainly going to be hooked on the Plaza District and our theater. It's like the coolest neighborhood in town. And this is a this is an Oklahoma premiere too. This has never been done in the state of Oklahoma. It is a world premiere. Even better, the playwright was with us the whole time, so we made changes up until opening. Oh, and that's from incredible. here, we're hoping that it, it goes to other cities and hopefully maybe partners with um, other Philharmonics. Michael Alexander, thank you for joining me today on Spotlight. Coming up next, Kayla Benda and Clint Williams with the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony. Please stay with us. Support for KUCO comes from Oklahoma Securities Department with the reminder, if an investment sounds too good to be true, it probably is. More about investigating before investing at investedok.org or 405-280-7700. back to Spotlight. My next guests are Kayla Benda, music director and conductor, and Clint Williams, composer in residence with the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony. They will be presenting their 2023-24 season opening concert on Saturday, September 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at First Church of Oklahoma City. The title of this program is called Origins and features a world premiere from Clint Williams. Caleb, Clint, welcome to Spotlight. Thanks for having us, Paul. Hello. I'm so excited to have the both of you here. Uh, we've got a composer in residence who's got a world premiere. We've got the music director and conductor. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. So we're kicking off, or you're kicking off, rather. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you're kicking <laughs> off your season premiere with a concert titled Origins. It's a concert all about beginnings, from beginnings of the world to the foundation of symphonies. So with that as the theme, let's think back to January of 2019 when the group originated. What does it mean for you all to be able to present some classics works as well as a world premiere from your own composer and residence to the people of Oklahoma City, having only been around for a few years, half of which was a pandemic. Yes, we've definitely come a long way since January 2019. The dynamic of the group has changed and evolved. The repertoire that we do has changed and evolved. Um, But I like to say the way that we present the concerts has stayed the same. Um, We try to keep it light, fun, entertaining. Um, We're all about being accessible to the audience. So, you know, first off, this concert's free of charge. So anyone is welcome to attend, no ticket needed. You just show up, we'll let you in. But yeah, we've, we've come quite a long way from January, 2019. Uh, we got just a couple players that have been with us since the very beginning. Um, in fact, in our season finale this past May, we recognized the five-year members because we had, we had to celebrate our fifth season. So now we're kicking off season number six. So it'll be a lot of fun. 
With the idea of origins, Clint, obviously you have a world premiere. So let me ask you a little bit about this. How do you start something like this? Let's maybe focus on the commission side of things. When it comes to the commission side, the first thing that I aim for is really what the programming is going to be. I want to follow up with the with the previous statement by saying that Caleb Benda is extremely ambitious. So the the actual programming has a bit of pressure next to it, where Caleb Benda loves Beethoven symphonies, <laughs> absolutely adores Beethoven symphonies. And to compete with Beethoven symphonies, to even be on the same level as, of programming as a Beethoven symphony, is already shifting the the pressure point to about an eight. <laughs> and so you, I have to look at the programming, and I have to say, okay, what am I being paired with? Uh, thinking about it like being a fine wine with a nice dish because bad wine will, will ruin the whole thing. So Caleb tells me, okay, we're doing Beethoven three. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so the pressure is already there, but I say, okay, I need to step my game up. I need to bring something that contrasts Beethoven three. And then he tells me on the back end, okay, we're doing this on the other side and you're going to be in the middle. And so the pressure is now, how do I contrast Mozart while still being on the same level as, say, Haydn? And that in itself raises the bar even further. And so I take a look at all of the elements together, and I say, okay, how do I, one, contrast, and two, separate myself as much as possible? Because if I'm going to compare myself to Beethoven and Haydn, I'm taking it. It's a loss. It, it is an automatic loss. You know, I do want to point out, Clint, for this concert, I did say, who do you want to be programmed with? And you picked Vaughn Williams. I did. Vaughn Williams <laughs> is one of my favorite composers. It, it's a dream pairing. And when Caleb said, we're doing the folk song suite, it, it made my heart sing. So I, I definitely accepted that challenge. But I also had a piece already in mind. So it, it was a good pairing. <laughs> I just love the rapport just between the two of you sitting. I, I know the folks listening on, on on the radio or on our app can't can't see it, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But just just the smiling back and forth between the two of you just puts a smile on my face. This, this is so incredible. Can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the piece you wrote for this concert? What was the inspiration behind it for you? So the moment that Caleb said that the that the theme of the first concert was going to be origins, I had no alternative but to go back to the first large piece that I had ever written. And there's a very interesting story about that piece. I wrote it almost 20 years ago. I started writing it in October of 2003 when I was a senior in high school. And the first movement was actually my entrance audition into the composition program at Cameron University where I did my undergraduate work. And Two years in, I'm almost done with the third movement when a malicious virus attacks the school system and I lose everything. Like any time I opened up the file, it was corrupted. And any computer that I took it to, it would corrupt that computer. So I lost two years of my work. And my professor at the time, Dr. Gregory Hoffner, told me, we all remember our first big project. So just rewrite it whenever you have an ensemble that can pull it off. And so now that 
I'm here with the OCS, I was able to rewrite it. And right before the 20th year. That is so fascinating. And that re- I think that just appropriately fits the title of the, of, the, of the program. You know, here's something that effectively 20 years ago you started to write as you were figuring out your voice as a young composer. Now you're an established composer, a teacher, uh, somebody we all look up to, and now you've got a chance to have an even better perspective on that work, and I'm sure your compositional skills have developed a little bit since since, since those days. <laughs> I would like to think so. <laughs> I, really, I really hope so. Um, t- taking, we all, whenever we get into grad school, we all revisit the older pieces, cringe a little bit, and then we fix a lot of the things that we had done when we were younger that are either functionally or technically not necessarily wrong, but it could be better. So there was a lot of fixing that I had done (laughs) over the course of those 20 years and really honing in and using the skills that I had acquired through undergraduate, through grad school, and now as a a professional, it it definitely helped make this, this piece very special. So, Clint, with Odyssey, it's a three-movement symphonic work, a symphony, if you will. I hear there are some intricacies to your writing that some musicians may love, but others eh, maybe aren't as big of a fan of. So how, how would you describe your compositional style with this work? With this compositional style, I wanted a piece that was in seven. When I was growing up, it was strictly either three, four, or two, and I wanted something odd. I wanted something unique. So I wrote my first large piece in seven, and that is something that I've quickly learned that strings players specifically are not familiar with, or (laughs) not necessarily familiar with, but that they are very uncomfortable with at times, um, depending on how I present the seven. And I've presented it in almost every variance possible. I mean, I'm a musician. I can only count to four. So I've definitely had to do a lot of one, two, three, four, one, two, three, or vice versa. <laughs> one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. Right, I remember right. those days. <laughs> yes. I'm a conductor. I only know four, four. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you take that theme and it's just basically developed throughout the three movements and just you just have different permutations as you go through? Yes. And the theme that I had developed at the time, um, just a side note, I am a nerd. Uh, so I think we all are. If we're if we're sitting here talking about Mozart and Vaughan Williams and Haydn, and but hey, we're in good company. Absolutely. Right. And so I was playing one of my favorite video games at the time, which is Final Fantasy VII. Nice. And Nobuo Uematsu is one of my idols of a composition. He is to video games what John Williams is to the movies. There was a time where I was just literally just playing and wanted to know more about Uematsu, a little bit more than I wanted to know about the storyline. So I look up Nobuo Uematsu, he taught himself music. And I said to myself, well, if he could teach himself music, then there's no excuse for me. And so I try to figure out what he did. And I ended up writing something that, if you are a Final Fantasy fan, (laughs) you could close your eyes and say, okay, this is definitely Ivelisse. Uh, type. Um, So it follows a specific storyline that's very, very akin to that series. Uh, The first movement is called Rite of Passage. You're 
I'm not going to give out too many details about what you're going to hear, but it's a story based off of, okay, you are going through a trial. It's a dangerous trial. We just hope that you make it. Second movement is, spoiler alert, you do make it. And you've, you <laughs> and you discover what the place where your ultimate judgment is going to be. And then your third movement, spoiler alert, you are in favor and you are you return home much power much more powerful than you left. And you you take your your seat where you where you're rightfully supposed to be. It sounds like Anybody that's able to make it out to this concert is certainly going to be in for a treat. So how did you decide ultimately on the title of Origins to begin the uh, sixth season for the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony? Yeah, so I knew we definitely wanted to do Mozart 41. Um, I, When I put the season proposal together, I kind of tossed around the idea of doing Mozart Symphony 41. Uh, the board loved the idea. In fact, our board president, her name is Jessica, she plays in the first violin section. She immediately jumped and was like, I've, I've always dreamed of doing this piece. I was like, well, board president sold on it. we got to do it now. Um, so I kind of started with that as like the cornerstone of the program. And I was like, well, to me as a conductor, what does Mozart 41 mean? And at least for me, for Mozart 41, that's kind of like the beginning of uh, the great symphonists, Beethoven, Brahms, even Mahler. It's the beginnings of the the romantic um, symphonic period. Um, so that was kind of the origins of the symphony as we know it today. It started right there with that piece. So then I was like, well, origins, sure, we can kind of put something together, run with that idea. Where can our uh, classical KUCO listeners go to learn more about the Chamber Symphony and some upcoming performances that you may have scheduled? Yeah, so all of our information is available on our website. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, but the website is just okchambersymphony.com. Now, can you give us any sneak previews on uh, some other works that you may be uh, presenting throughout your 2023-2024 program? Yeah, um, so I know the orchestra is super excited for our October concert. Well, okay, let me rephrase. The wind players are super excited. <laughs> String players are a little upset with me because it's an all-Harry Potter concert. Um, and if you know the Harry Potter scores, string parts are a little difficult on that. Um, but it's all-Harry Potter, so we're calling that Halloween at Hogwarts. Um, that's going to be on Saturday, October 14th. Again, also free. All of our concerts are free. Um, this year for our Sounds of the Season concert, that's our annual holiday concert. We're doing the first half is all dances from uh, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. In fact, we're doing some dances that are not in the concert suite. So it's dances you would typically only hear if you actually went to the ballet. But we're going to do them. Uh, we're kind of extracting that from the score. And the second half is all Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Nice. I mean, we did a couple pieces last year. People loved it. People actually, like, screamed at a classical music concert, which I loved. So we definitely got to do it again. We're adding a couple more Trans-Siberian Orchestra pieces um, and a lot of what they do is based off of the Tchaikovsky Nutcracker score. So it seemed like a very natural pairing. In February, we're doing um, a concert with our concert master called Seasonal Changes. Every year, we do a concerto competition. Um, and last year, our concert master, Elaine Bastos, won with the Piazzolla Four Seasons. So we're pairing that with the Vivaldi Four Seasons, kind of the the origins of the, the uh, Piazzolla Four Seasons, and then the open that concert with everybody. We're doing the Dvorak in Nature's Realm, which is a great overture that he did. Um, Everybody knows Dvorak from his symphonies, especially, you know, six, uh, seven, eight, and nine. But he wrote three concert overtures that were part of a set that are just amazing. And, and Nature's Realm was the first of those, the three. April, we do our annual uh, student play-in concerts. So that'll be a lot of fun. We're doing some Bernstein with that one. Um, and then in the season finale in May, we call that one Musical Pipes. And that one's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun. We're doing another world premiere by Clint, a piece that I didn't even know existed. So this year for our concerto competition – 
the OCS uh, bassoon section did a double bassoon concerto and, and won. Um, so I got to make sure I get this composer's name right because I'd never even heard of him. So it's Johann Baptiste Von Hall. He's a, a bohemian composer. Um, I started listening to a lot of his repertoire, and it, it's amazing. I, I cannot believe nobody knows this guy, um, but we're doing his double bassoon concerto. So I figured, well, you know, bassoons kind of looks like a pipe. I mean, musical pipes. And then the organ at First Church is turning 120. So we got a pair with the St. Sons Symphony Number no. 3. Oh, wow. So it'll be a, a, a big lift of a concert, but a fun concert for sure. What a season that you have all put together. That's just, just such a great variety. I want Clint, I want to ask you one more question because sure. I love asking this of performers and composers. Whether it's you know the piece that we're going to hear this coming uh, September 23rd at 7.30 p.m. or any other works of yours, what do you hope people take away from the music you write? That's a very good question. Wow. And I realize every piece is going to be a little bit different. It's a very broad question, so I apologize for springing on you without giving you a further or advanced notice. But, you know, just that's one of the my favorite parts of this is just getting to talk with folks like you and just figure out what do you want from us? Because I know what I wanted as a performer. I'm always curious from the composer's perspective. What are you hoping people get from this performance? Well, one thing that I aim to achieve in all of my compositions is that there are two elements that are constant. First, there is a story. And second, there are feelings attached to each of these moments. And I, I do believe that what I would like the audience to take away from any composition, but especially this one, would be the, the scenes that I lay out and the feelings that are attached to them. I love the fact that music is a very noble art because it's enjoyable. There is no faking uh, music in, in any sense of the word. So I think one of the biggest compliments that I could ever receive is I really enjoyed that. So if they have some kind of feeling, if it painted a picture in their mind, then I think that I have achieved my goal was to, to take you away from the real world for three to 15 minutes at a time and just transplant you in a place where if you're going through something, any type of pain, that that pain is gone. If you're going through any type of sadness, that sadness is gone. If you're having a great day, that that day is amplified. Like you take away all the negative, you amplify the positive, And if that happened to you, then I would love to hear about it. And that's something that I strive for every single time. Now, Clint, do you have a website that we can also direct our classical KUCO listeners to that maybe has a catalog of your works or previous performances? Sure. I am, I've recently revamped my website. Nice. Um, it is clintwilliamsmusic.com. I'm still working on the cataloging, <laughs> um, but my bio and small little musings blog of observings and things that are going on in my day-to-day life are there, but pretty soon, very soon, that there will be an accessible catalog that you can listen to my my works from. That's awesome. Caleb, it sounds like I'm going to need to win this concerto competition. That's I don't right, know how right. I don't know how I'm going to go about it, but I'm going to go, try to win this concerto competition, and then we're going to pair it That's with right. the Clint Williams piece. It's always a great match. Clint, Caleb, thank you so much for joining me today on Spotlight. I'd also like to thank my other guests, Michael Barron and Alexander Micklethwaite with the Lyric Theater and Oklahoma City Philharmonic, and Dr. Zachary Daniels with the Oklahoma Community Orchestra. 
As always, thank you for supporting Classical KUCO in making wonderful conversations like these possible. KUCO is committed to bringing you the best in local performing arts. I'm Paul Nesper. Until next time, enjoy the arts. Thank you.